welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. As it relates to the kingdom of God and what it means to participate in the kingdom of God and what sort of things come along with that, uh, most of the Jews of Jesus' day believed that God was doing something and was about to do something in sort of the, the restoration of the world and the bringing about of this kingdom. So there's a lot of talk in Jesus' day about that. So without further ado, let's get to the text. It's Matthew 19. We'll start in verse 16. And I'll invite you to stand, if you can, for the reading of the scriptures. And we will read through verse 24. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep my commandments. Keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All of these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give them to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And then Jesus said this to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Pray with me. God, this morning as we turn our attention to the scriptures and these words of Jesus, I pray that you would challenge us where we need to be challenged, invite us where we need to be invited, uh, encourage us where we need to be encouraged, remind us of who you are and who we are in you. I pray in the strong name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit. And all God's people said together, amen. You may be seated. Uh, Last week I began with a few caveats, and uh, that was intentional. Sort of, here's what I'm not going to do, if you remember last week in in my beginning. And I'm actually going to do that again. Sometimes this is a helpful rhetorical device. Uh, In this way, you you can head something off at the past, like, hey, it's not this, it's actually this. So don't worry about that. Be at ease. Pay attention to this. And I want to do that again, because this morning, I think this passage that we've just read is, uh, is a common passage. It's probably been preached by many before me and will be preached by many after me. And there's often a common interpretation that comes along with it, a very predictable one. And I want to head that off at the pass before we get going. Um, A very common interpretation of this passage is that, you know, money and resources are bad. Um, Having less or even poverty or being poor is good. Uh, If you have money and resources, you should sell everything you have in order to follow Jesus. We typically don't like that one. Um, And sometimes it's even used to prop up views uh, related to capitalism and or socialism, and then that's connected to how you might vote and all of that. And I just want to say, I think that's lazy. Uh, I think that's a really lazy interpretation of this passage. Sure, you could go that way and, and you could say some things about that. But I think if you do, you really miss the heart of what Jesus is doing. Uh... That sort of feeds into, or that way of thinking about the text is very binary, it's very dualistic. And dualism and binary is easy. Uh, It it doesn't take a lot of uh, mental fortitude and emotional maturity to sort of do the dualistic thing, either or, right? Um, It's either good or bad to have money. It's either good or bad to have a big house. It's either good or bad to have recreational vehicles or keep going down the road, either or. 
binary thinking is not always bad, right? This dualistic thinking, like if I go in for surgery, I want my surgeon to be very binary, very dualistic, either or. It's not like, should we cut this or not? I'm not really sure. It's kind of the easy either or options. And so I want to invite us to think about this passage in a way that sort of moves beyond the easy answers. So a few thoughts on this Jesus and this rich young ruler that we've read about. Uh, this passage or this encounter shows up in a number of different places. We're looking at it in Matthew. But um, first, what is the heart and the nature of this request, right? Rich young guy comes to Jesus and he's like, what must I do to inherit eternal life? A lot of evangelicals, a lot of American Christians think like that. The question is, what must I do to ensure I get heaven after I die? Not the question he's asking, BTW, but he does say, what must I do to inherit the age to come? So what's the nature of his request? What's the nature of the question? Of course, we look back, right, on 2,000 years, 2,000 years between us and this encounter, and it's hard to know, like, what's the tone, or what are the facial expressions, or, like, what's the nature of the request? But I think, based on a couple of interpretations, or assumptions, judgments I'm making, that I don't think are beyond reasonable, it appears that this man's request could be summed up as, in order to receive instead of in response to. In order to receive instead of, or verses, in response to. Uh, in Hebrew, there's, a, there's an idea or a word called mitzvot. Mitzvot literally means good deed or commandment. So this idea of mitzvot was, uh, uh, it was all over in Jesus' day. In terms of the religious conversation that's happening among Jews, mitzvah, or mitzvot, good deeds, was, people were asking about this all the time. Uh, it literally means good deeds or acts of kindness, but it also is broad enough to include um, Torah. It was a way in which they talked about Torah, God's word. So when Jesus responds and he says, why do you call me good? There's only one that's good. Many would argue Jesus isn't actually referring to God, but he's referring to Torah. Be that as it may, mitzvot, this desire to do good deeds, was a part of Jewish religious life. And this rich man takes it a step further. So he enters the conversation, which was common among Jesus' day. But then he takes it a step further, you know, like a teenager. He says, what mitzvot can I do that will ensure life in the age to come? Which again, is not heaven after I die, but this common Jewish belief that God, Yahweh, would do something, restore, rebuild um, this kingdom through Messiah. So the question is, how do I ensure that I participate in the age to come, the one that God is doing and, and rebuilding and will do in and through the Messiah? More than that, he asks sort of a... Uh, uh, well, Jesus isn't buying it, right? He says, what must I do to inherit the age to come? And Jesus isn't buying it. He's not... Uh, there's, there are a number of shortened ways that people talked about uh, Torah, like Jesus quotes one of them, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Another one is love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus isn't buying the gradation of mitzvot. He's not buying the sort of uh, the, the, the hierarchy of good deeds. And even more than that, he's certainly not buying the, the, the super mitzvot, right? Where I can bypass all these things and I just get a pass to the age to come. Jesus is like, listen, the economy of the kingdom of God is not quid pro quo. When we're talking about God and we're talking about the kingdom that Jesus intends to bring, it's not give to get. It's not quid pro quo in that sense. It's not in order to receive, like I do these things so that I get that. 
I find that my children are wonderful illustrations for the spiritual life. I don't know if you, if you have kids or you've watched kids or you've ever seen this happen, but as I was thinking about quid pro quo and give to get kinds of mentalities, it's amazing what children will do when they want something. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, pick up all the dog poop in the spring after the snow has melted. If they want something bad enough, they'll, go, they'll do it, right? You know, clean the kitchen floor, clean the bathroom. If they want it bad enough, they'll do it. They'll bend over backwards, and I suppose we all do this in our, in our own ways, right? Let's not pick on the kids here. If we want it bad enough, we'll bend over backwards to do all kinds of good deeds, mitzvot, to get what we want. But how alarming is it when one of your children does something out of pure love? It's like, it's arresting, right? When you're, oh, oh, there you are. Oh my goodness. Or when someone in your family or a coworker is motivated not to get something, but because of love and of gratitude. Like when an action wells up from that versus to get something, it's a stark contrast, is it not? What does it mean to love God and obey God? The word obey in the Old Testament, you could also translate that as to hear in God's voice. What does it mean to love God and hear in God's voice in response to and out of the overflow of our gratitude because of the kindness and love of God? This is the, the question the rich young man seems to be motivated, or uh, th th that he asks, seems to be motivated by this give to get kind of quid pro quo energy, and Jesus categorically rejects it. I think this is the conversation, the deeper conversation Jesus is having with this man. The kingdom of God doesn't operate that way. Maybe you've heard this phrase of the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. It's not, it's not logical. It's nonsensical at times. It goes against our intuitions. And we think, especially living where we live in 2019, you've got to give to get. You've got to pay if you want it. And Jesus seems to be saying, what does it mean to love God out of response to the grace, the free gift of grace? Which begs a question for us this morning. How do you get to the place where your mitzvot, your good deeds, your worship, your love of God is in response to and not in order that? Let me say that again. How do you get to the place where your worship and your love of God is in response to and not in order that? I think I want to suggest it requires at least in some way, shape, and form that we come to the end of ourselves. That we have a moment or a season or a period of time where we recognize that we cannot fix it, we cannot build it, we cannot sustain it, we can't get it, we can't repair it, we come to the end of ourselves and we experience the free and overflowing love of God from the divine fount of every blessing as we sing about. It's these kinds of moments when we, are, when we allow ourselves to check our pride, leave our pride at the door, and we actually receive God's grace and receive God's love that we can begin to then love God out of response and not in order that. So question. 21st century, middle class, have you reached the end of yourself in any way, shape, and form? Have you come to a place in your own life where you've realized that the resources and the ideas and the energy to fix it, build it, secure it, like, there just isn't anymore? Like, the well is dry. 
In AA, they say you've hit the bottom. Have you finally realized that all the balls in the air with you being the only one that catches them is actually not sustainable? Have you made a mess of things lately? Have you in any way betrayed those who you love? Have you chosen yourself at the expense of others? Again, these are the places where if we will allow our pride not to be in the driver's seat, where we can actually experience and receive the free gift of grace and love from the divine. And it's my firm conviction that if we want to be people who live and worship and, 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 and love God out of response and not in order to, in order to get, we have to have an experience like this or multiple experiences like this. I think this is part of the conversation Jesus is having with this young man. He's rich. He's got it all. He has all the resources he needs. So what does he need from God? Nothing except the age to come. So what do I have to do? What do how much? Well, let's talk turkey. How much is it going to cost? And Jesus is like, listen, that's not how it works. The kingdom is absolutely opposite. Our love of God, our worship of God our, is not in order to get something, but in response to and if you've never experienced the grace of God when you needed it, because it was all you had, I would suggest it's going to be very difficult, maybe like harder than a camel to go through the eye of a needle for you to get what the kingdom is really about. This is in some ways why Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom. The windows, I'm pointing to the windows. These are the Beatitudes. Jesus says in some way, shape, and form, the poor, the brokenhearted, the down, the out, the, the refugee, we're going to sing about this later, they've got a head start on those of us who have resources, who don't have need in that way, because they understand what grace is. We don't prop that up and say that's what we're going for, we should all be moving towards that, but Jesus does make a comment about this that says, people who have experienced brokenness and loss and who have nothing left who are the spiritually down and out, the poor in spirit, they have a leg up on those of us who have resource because they understand what grace is. So is there any way in which you've reached the end of yourself? And if not, how's that going for you? Little Dr. Phil. You've broken up with four people, you're living with somebody you don't know, how's that working out for you? I think this is, uh, this is at least one of the ways in which we can encounter or engage this conversation Jesus has with this rich guy. Another one, I want to point this out. I think it's important to note the trajectory of the aim or the test, the trajectory or the aim of the inquiry, right? Jesus says, sell everything you have in order to follow me. And I want to suggest that the test, the inquiry, was in a very vulnerable place, uh, a few months ago, the, the staff at Awaken, we went to a little place called Pachaman Terrace, which means peace of the earth. It's a little Catholic, uh, um, what are they called, hermitage. So there's all these hermitages. You go and you, you, be, you, you sit by yourself and you meet with God. It's terrifying, <laughs> um, truthfully. <clears throat> so we were up there as a staff, and uh, Danny Langseth, our finance guy here at the church, said to me in a breakfast before we left, he said, Micah, I wonder if... Uh, I wonder if a question you might go on this little retreat with is this. For you, what is being invited to die so that something else can be born? You've heard me say that to you all before, right? Good friend of mine, Danny, said it to me. Micah, maybe, 
Maybe you go into this retreat asking, what needs to die so that something else can be born? So I go with that in mind, and I'm wandering around the woods. I find this little bench, and it's in this clearing, and the sun is shining, and I'm smoking my pipe. It's beautiful. It's lovely. You know, I, I thought like C.S. Lewis would come out of the clouds, and <laughs> J.R. Tolkien would come and sit with me, and we'd have a chat. But there I am, and, I'm, I, and this question comes to me, and it's like, Micah, what is being invited to die so that something else might be born? And do you want to know what I heard? your unwavering commitment to the covenant. Now, for those of you that don't know me or don't know this church, we're a part of the Evangelical Covenant Church, and if I'm being honest, the covenant has been the first uh, place that I, as, a, as an adult, have found a spiritual home. And by that, I mean a story that I've, that I've been compelled by and connected to. You know, my grandparents were both believers on both sides. My parents were believers. So I have a spiritual heritage, but like a tradition, a, a large story and narrative that I was connected to. And for me personally, as a pastor being ordained in this denomination, my best friends in ministry have been found in this group of people. I am compelled by the way in which we've done life together over the last 130 years, And as I'm sitting on this bench, what I hear God saying is, Micah, is it possible that your unwavering commitment to this denominational structure might die so that something else might be born? Maybe a recommitment to the broader kingdom of God at work in the world and less about your particular tribal version of it in the covenant, even at its best. The very things that we cling to the most are the places where the divine is interested in exploring. The thing that you cling to the most that would be complicated if you were asked to give it away, I want to suggest that this is the place that the divine is interested of inquiry. Do you guys remember The Weakest Link, the TV show? The English lady, there was a you know, t- game show and then she'd say like, you are the weakest link, goodbye. It's like Ellen, but not yet. Like the floor wasn't going to, but that person would have to leave the show. You know, you are the weakest link. Goodbye. I want to suggest that the very things we cling to the most are the places that God is interested in inquiry precisely because they are the weakest links in our pursuit of the spiritual life. See, you and I, we have no shortage of things we can love in place of God. These would, by many, be called idols. Simply put, things that sit above God on the ladder of our affections and our commitments. These, these commitments, these uh, things that we cling to, are the weakest links in our pursuit of the spiritual life and intimacy with God. Why? Precisely because they, they provide opportunities for us to not be dependent upon God. And therefore are barriers to intimacy with God. If I don't have to depend on God, I won't. And I think you wouldn't either. So the things that we cling to, the things that we, uh, that we have commitments to and affections for that may be in comparison or competing with our affections and our allegiance to God are the very places that I want to suggest that God is interested in inquiring. The challenge to the rich young ruler is not a formula that we apply to anyone with money. I think for him, it is a deep and probing question about the loyalties and commitments of his heart. So if you were that man or you were that woman in that story and Jesus were to ask you that question this morning, what would his inquiry be? Not, do I have money and should I sell it? Do I have things and should I sell them? Maybe, I don't know. 
That's easy. But let's move beyond easy. If it were you, what's the vulnerable place? What's the weakest link in your spiritual pursuit of God that causes you or invites you or provides opportunity for you to be self-sufficient, to not depend? So a moment to reflect. Do you know what the inquiry would be? Maybe you do and you'd wish I'd stop talking about it now. (laughs) So we have a rich man whose question exposes maybe the intention of his heart in order that instead of in response to. Then we have Jesus asking a very specific and probing question maybe to a vulnerable place. And lastly, I'll say this. Our possessions are not neutral. Our possessions, the things that we say are mine, the things that I own, they're not neutral. And I'm going I'm to go through this quickly because I've actually, I, I look back, this was sermon number 14 in Awakens History. This is currently 339, so it was a while ago. But I, I, I'm going to sort of walk through this quickly. But our possessions are not neutral. I want to suggest that the things that we own, the th- our resources, When we claim something as mine, we actually enter a relationship with it. And that thing is no longer neutral, it's no longer an inanimate object, but it actually takes on a personality. It is now in a relationship with me. Let me see if I can flesh this out. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus has a similar conversation to the one he's having with the rich young ruler when he says this to his disciples. Those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciples. Uh, that should arrest us, right? Those of you who can't give up everything, you can't be my disciples. What's being said here? Let's walk this out. Next slide, if you will, Katie. Those of you who do not give up, it's a Greek word, apotasso, everything you have, two words, pas and hipparcho, cannot be, two words, ou and dunamai, my disciples, right? So we're going to look at these three sections of Greek words. The first one, apotasso, means the following. Next slide. means to give up or bid farewell, send away, or renounce. So those of you who cannot give up, apotasso, give up, send away, renounce, everything you have, these two words, pas and hipparco, next slide. Pas means all, and hipparco means to possess or own, right? So Jesus says, those of you who cannot give up, renounce, send away, everything you have or own cannot be my disciples. But here's where it gets interesting. Hipparco is made up of two words, And the way Jesus uses it tells us something. The two words are hippo and arco, and it's under and to begin. So here's what's being said. Literally, to come under, to begin, or bring about something new. To have. The Greek word Jesus uses, what's translated, everything you have is to like come under something and essentially bring it about or create a new thing. Now, as it's applied to our possessions, we don't bring into existence our possessions normally, but we do create a new reality when we say mine or I own that. We confer onto things a new identity, right? Here's where it's fascinating. Jesus uses the present active participle of this word, which means it's an ongoing action. When I say mine, I have something, I possess something, It's an active and ongoing thing. It's not something I do once and then it's over. I'm now in a relationship with it. I'm always in the process of hipparching things. 
when I declare it as mine. So in this verse, Jesus has said the following. Unless you bid farewell, renounce, all that you come under to begin, in other words, you renounce the ongoing process of mining, you cannot be my disciple. Now let's look at those two words. Next slide. Cannot is not, ooh, and dunamai, power, ability, or strength. Now, when we see the word cannot, we think Jesus is making a rule. Like, if you do this, you cannot do that. But he's not giving a rule necessarily, but describing a reality that exists when you hipparco something. He's saying dunamai comes from the word dunamis, which is where we get dynamite and dynamic. So Jesus says, unless you renounce, send away the ongoing activity of possessing, mining, hipparking things, you will lack the power to be my disciple. Why? If you keep going in Luke, we find a very famous passage where Jesus says, man cannot serve God and money. He could have used a Greek word, I think it's called uh, Argyrian, but he uses the word mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon. Break it down. Why does he use this word instead of that word? In the ancient world, mammon was the power and reality that was often connected to the worship of the false god of money and resources. So Jesus says, you can't be my disciple, you can't follow me, participate in the kingdom, which is a divestment of interest in self, and serve mammon, this power and principality that exists in our world where things mine us back when we own them and possess them in that way. You can't do both. You can only have allegiance to one. And so, as it relates to our possessions and the things that we own and we say are mine, it would be wise for us as people who follow Jesus to take inventory of those relationships. Do you see what I'm saying? To not, go, to not participate in them without intention, without honest question. Because we've said our allegiance is to this kingdom and this thing that Jesus is doing. And yet there's this reality that when we say something is mine, it actually has this way of mining us back. Sometimes I'll say to a person in my house, uh, hey, I need you to wash the dishes. And that said person will be on an iPad. Just a sec. You ever heard that before? Gosh, I hate that response because I know it's not true. Just a minute. Not even that's true. Amen. And I've often found myself going to said person, who shall remain nameless, grabbing their face and saying, you cannot play the iPad and listen to me at the same time. You can only do one. You can't do both. It's really that simple, what Jesus is saying. As it relates to our possessions, it would be wise for us as people who follow Jesus. And if you don't follow Jesus, if you've not made a commitment to this kingdom and this way of being human in the world, then I would just offer this to you as wisdom because it's true whether or not you're committed to this way of being human in the world or not. But for those of you who do say you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus is wisdom and the conversation with the rich young ruler is all about the things that we possess, the things that we have, the things that we call mine. And his wisdom, I would argue, is this. You can't serve both God and resources and this principality, this way of being where things have this relationship with us and mine us back. Another way to say it would be, what would be uncomfortable if asked to depart from? 
Is there anything in your life where if there was an honest conversation about you need to, you need to leave that, you need to let that go, and if there is any hesitation or if there is a check in your spirit of, ooh, pause, stop there, do not pass go, do not collect $200. There's the work. There's the inquiry. There's the vulnerability. And I think this interaction with the rich young ruler, it's not a formula that we apply to anyone who's rich. It's a deep conversation about the truest desires and allegiances of our heart. The one precious wild life that we get to live. How will you live it and how will you invest it? And what will it be about? Will it be about things and possessions and, and this, this way of doing it? Or is there another way that Jesus invites us into? And I would argue that that's exactly the conversation he's having. And it's so good that this really doesn't matter for us now. Like, we've got this. We've figured it out. This whole stuff, resource, possession thing. As we close this morning, a few questions for you. As we move our way to this table, which is a commitment to this way of being human in the world, to saying, Jesus, it's your body, your blood, your sacrifice, your way of being human, your sacrifice for others, even our enemies, and this love of God in response, not in order that. As we move towards communion, a few questions for you. What is the source of your love of God? Like, why are you here this morning? Guilt and shame and fear, they motivate, but they don't last. So what is the source of your love of God? Is it in order that or in response to? And if it's not in response to, then I just, I'd invite you to consider why. Is there a self-sufficiency that you're just kind of clicking along with? And how, how long does it take for that to run out? What are the vulnerable places that are inhibiting intimacy and dependence on God? The places where you are sufficient. And in that sufficiency, there is a lack of dependence. And therefore, a lack of intimacy. Is there an invitation this morning for you there? And third, is there anything in your life that is mining you back? Maybe without you even knowing. And now that you have this language, you have this picture... Is there anything whose tentacles have wrapped around you in such a way that it is, it is inhibiting you from fully saying yes to the kingdom of God and the, that way of being human in the world? That, to me, is the heart of this conversation that the rich young ruler has with Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Sell everything you have and follow me. And he can't do it. Why? Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.